um, the Afghanistan report that came out this morning from the Washington Post. And, you know, we like criticizing the Post, so I don't mind giving them credit. Apparently, they fought for three years uh, in court uh, through the Freedom of Information Act, which Jen and I have been fighting uh, for a different story uh, to get information released. Uh, So far, we haven't been successful in that. But the Washington Post has basically... How many more lawyers does the Washington Post have than us, Jen? Probably, uh, I'd say, I don't know, 150 uh, additional lawyers. And probably a budget of probably hundreds of millions of dollars more than of us. So Washington Post was successful in this case. But the Washington Post fought to get this information out for uh, several years. And finally, uh, they were able to gain access to this information. Uh, and the information basically shows that internally, internally, the government, uh, the Pentagon uh, and other agencies did an internal review of the Afghanistan war to essentially find out lessons learned, as they call it. And the lessons learned, I, ideally, they were going to learn these lessons so that they didn't make these same mistakes they've made in Afghanistan in other countries that we illegally invade. Uh, so we've been in Afghanistan now, 2021 will be 20 years. So we're going on 19 years. Basically, we're going on two decades. So the top line of this report, the report started off by uh, basically saying that, I'm not reading the whole report. It's really, really long, but I do have some major points saying uh, a confidential trove of government documents obtained by the Post reveals that senior U.S. officials failed to tell the truth about the war in Afghanistan throughout the 18-year campaign, making rosy pronouncements they knew to be false and hiding unmistakable evidence the war had been unwinnable. The documents were generated by a federal project examining the root failures of the longest armed conflict in U.S. history. They include more than 2,000 pages of previously unpublished notes of interviews with people who played a direct role in the war, from generals and diplomats to aid workers and Afghan officials. The U.S. government tried to shield the identities of the vast majority of those interviewed for the project and conceal nearly nearly all of their remarks. The Post-1 release of the documents under the Freedom of Information Act after a three-year legal battle. In the interviews, more than 400 insiders offered unrestrained criticism of what went wrong in Afghanistan and how the United States became mired in nearly two decades of warfare. Quote, we were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We didn't know what we were doing. Douglas Lute, three-time three-star army general who served under Bush and Obama, said in this internal review that Washington Post got a hold of. What are we trying to do here? We didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were undertaking. If the American people knew the magnitude of this dysfunction, 2,400 lives lost. He blamed the deaths on U.S. military personnel, uh, excuse me, the deaths of U.S. military personnel on bureaucratic breakdowns among Congress, the Pentagon, and the State Department. Since 2001, more than 775,000 U.S. troops have deployed to Afghanistan many repeatedly. Of those 2,300 that died and 20,589 were wounded in action. So, let me show you a couple parts that I just took out of this. Several of those interviewed described explicit and sustained efforts by the U.S. government 
to deliberately mislead the public. They said it was common at military headquarters in Kabul, Afghanistan, and at the White House to distort statistics to make it appear that the U.S. was winning the war when that was not the case. Every data point was altered to present the best picture possible. Bob Crowley, an Army colonel who served as a senior counterinsurgency advisor to U.S. military commanders in 2013 and 2014, told government interviewers, quote, surveys, for instance, were totally unreliable, but reinforced that everything we were doing was right and we became self-licking ice cream cone. John Sopko, the head of the federal agency that conducted these interviews, acknowledged to the Post that the documents show the American people have constantly been lied to. Since 2001, the Defense Department, State Department, and U.S. Agency for International Development have spent or appropriated between $934 billion and $978 billion on Afghanistan. Let's just round that to a trillion, Okay. A trillion dollars spent in Afghanistan. Those figures do not include money spent by other agencies, such as the CIA and the Department of Veteran Affairs, which is responsible for medical care for wounded vets. And what did we get for this one trillion effort? Was it worth one trillion? Jeffrey Eggers, a retired Navy SEAL and White House staffer for Bush and Obama, told government interviewers, He added, after the killing of bin Laden, I said that Osama was probably laughing in his watery grave, considering how much we have spent in Afghanistan. So here you have literally for the majority of the Afghanistan war under Bush, Obama, Now, Trump, you literally have people having no idea what exactly we are at war for. Yet the interview shows that as the war dragged on and the the goals and mission kept changing and a lack of faith in the U.S. strategy took root inside the Pentagon, the White House, and the State Department. Fundamental disagreements went unresolved. Some officials wanted to use the war to turn Afghanistan into democracy because we love turning other countries into democracies. Others wanted to transform Afghan culture and elevate women's rights. Still others wanted to reshape the regional balance of power among Pakistan, India, Iran, and Russia. Quote, with the AFPAC strategy, there was a, that was present, there was a present under the Christmas tree for everyone. An unidentified U.S. official told government interviewers in 2015, by the time you were finished, you had so many priorities and aspirations, it was like no strategy at all. What's incredible here, we went into Afghanistan as a response to 9-11. We went into Afghanistan because of bin Laden, even though all the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. And even though bin Laden was in more places than Afghanistan. But putting that aside, we go into Afghanistan, right? You can't find bin Laden, which was the expressed reason we voted for war in Afghanistan. So you have U.S. military that doesn't even understand Afghanistan. In the reports, written in dense bureaucratic prose and focused on an alphabetic soup 
Alphabet soup of government officials left out the harshest and most frank criticisms from the interviews. Quote, we found the stabilization strategy and the programs used to achieve it were not properly tailored to the Afghan context and success Successes in stabilizing Afghan districts rarely lasted longer than the physical presence of coalition troops and civilians, read the introduction to one report. I mean, you also have the U.S. policy. U.S. officials tried to create from scratch a democratic government in Kabul modeled after their own Washington. It was a foreign concept to the Afghans who were accustomed to tribalism, monarchism, communism, and Islamic law. Quote, our policy was to create a strong central government, which was idiotic because Afghanistan does not have a history of a strong central government, an unidentified State Department official said. The time frame for creating a strong central government is 100 years. This is essentially, this would essentially be like me going to the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in North Dakota, which I have very fond memories of, and trying to hunt buffalo. I have no idea how to hunt. I have no idea what the conditions of hunting in Standing Rock Sioux are. I have no idea anything about buffalo. And it ain't my place to go hunt buffalo in the the sovereign territory of the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. I don't know if that analogy makes sense to you, but that's the first thing that came to mind. Why in God's name? I mean, besides the the most horrific part, 2,300 Americans dead, not to mention countless more Afghans dead, not to mention the Afghan veterans in America that have committed suicide, not to mention the people with PTSD, the family members who have suffered for this colossal waste. And I want to, you know, this might seem like a bit of a strange pivot. I'd like to bring our friend Hillary Clinton into this because I think it's important. This was Hillary Clinton on Howard Stern last week when she was ranting and raving about Bernie Sanders. Here we go. Bernie Sanders, and this was a perception I had. Mm -hmm. You would say a policy when you were running against him for the nomination. Right, right. And the next day you go, yeah, well, free college for everyone. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like when you run for a, a fifth grade class. Yeah, right. That's I'll give right. you free yeah. everything. Chocolate milk for everyone. Chocolate milk for everyone and yeah. more recess. <laughs> yeah. more pizza. Words, and then it makes it and look then, like you're a stick in the mud. I know. And then when you say, well, wait a minute, where, where's no the sense. money going to come from? Then you're, what a minute, are you against free college? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, so apparently, apparently, Hillary Clinton, Howard Stern, uh, in that interview, she also, you know, lambasted Bernie Sanders. But apparently, where's the money going to come from? Where's the money going to come from? Where do we get this money for free public college? It's not only Hillary. Uh, let's look at our friend Joe Biden here. I think we should be in a position of taking a look at what costs are. My plan for health care costs a lot of money. It costs $740 billion. It doesn't cost $30 trillion. $3.4 trillion a year, it turns out, is twice what the entire federal budget is. That's before it exists now, without interest on the debt. How are we going to pay for it? I want to hear tonight how that's happened. So far, my distinguished friend, the senator on my left, does not has not indicated how she pays for it. And the senator has, in fact, come forward and said how he's going to pay for it, but it gets him about halfway there. Well, we 
make $1 trillion we spent on this ridiculous, wasteful, absurd, immoral war in Afghanistan. $1 trillion we spent. All the while, government officials in the Pentagon, the CIA, are altering documents, are altering facts, are lying to us. Why? To keep us there. Why are they keeping us there? Who the hell knows? It's all part of the military-industrial complex to grease the skids of Raytheon. Well, Hillary, Joe... And the rest of the neoliberal order, I could tell you what we could use that. I, I, I don't know. I think I know how to pay for free college. Here you go. War in Afghanistan, according to these estimates, $978 billion. Gives us 12 years of free public college. $80 billion a year is Bernie Sanders' plan. 12 years of free public college we could have had with what we've spent in Afghanistan. How about seven years of universal pre-K? Studies show costs about $140 billion a year. Could have two years of universal basic income, 12000 a year to every person in this country. Two years of a universal basic income experiment. How about replacing lead service lines so that Our water isn't poisoned like in Flint and elsewhere. Well, I mean, we could have done that, I guess, in the first half year of the Afghanistan war. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have all day to go through the list, but I could find you even more examples of how we could pay for these things, how the money is already there. And by the way, I don't even believe in this, how do you pay for things argument. I don't subscribe to this how-do-you-pay-for-it argument. I believe in modern monetary theory. Which, slowly, more people are getting in tune to. But I'm just saying, these are all under the the current confines of what's to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? Well... As Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said, why is it that we only ask how you're going to pay for it when it's for the moral things like healthcare and education? But we don't ask, how are we paying for or why are we paying for this absurd war in Afghanistan? This lie in Afghanistan? You wonder why I say and Ben Norton says and Max Blumenthal says and Glenn Greenwald says and Abby Martin and Rania Kalik and Jimmy Dore and Kyle Kalinske and keep going. Well, no, I don't believe what the government says that Russia is, you know, hacking our brains and and Russia swung the election and Russia did this and Russia's doing this. No, I don't believe it until they they give me evidence because the U.S. government lied about Vietnam. The U.S. government lied about Iraq. And now we know the U.S. government has been lying about Afghanistan pretty much from the jump. So in between all of this madness going on, the Afghanistan story that came out, the impeachment hearings are going on. You have uh, the inspector general came out today with a report basically blasting the FBI, saying that their original FISA warrant for Carter Page was severely flawed. 
said it wasn't politically biased, but basically said it depended on the now disgraced Steele dossier that the Clinton, the Hillary Clinton's campaign was trying to enlist uh, the Steele dossier uh, against Trump. During all this, Pete Buttigieg, good strategy if you're a slimy politician, wanted to get his news out so nobody would know and nobody would pay and there wouldn't be a lot of attention on it and it would kind of get lost in all this other news. So he came out saying, I, I, will, uh, I will allow press in my high-dollar, lavish caviar and champagne fundraisers. So he's now going to let the press in. I am the press. They still haven't told us where the three bougie mega fundraisers he's having in Manhattan are this week. He's having big, big fundraisers in Manhattan uh, this week, starting tomorrow, another one Wednesday, I believe another one Thursday. No idea where it is. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting people go and do anything violent at a private residence. Of course not. But if he wants to go have you know, $2,800 ticket fundraisers with nice little, you know, tapas meals, champagne and caviar with a who's who of Wall Street bankers, big pharma, big real estate, big oil, Silicon Valley. I think people have a right to protest outside and they should be able to know where it is. But we don't know. So Pete came out today saying he will let press in. We'll see about that. We'll see which press he allows in. He also, uh, about an hour later, uh, McKinsey, the vulture capitalist uh, company that he consulted for, came out uh, saying that they will release him, according to them. They will release him from his um, non-disclosure agreement as far as allowing him to share who his clients were, who he consulted for. I don't know if they are allowing him to share details of his consulting, what he did, what he consulted them on. I don't know if they're allowing that because, you know, you don't want to give away the goods. You don't want to really show how sleazy this whole thing is, how McKinsey consults brutal dictators around the world how McKinsey consults toxic polluters around the country and world. They don't want the full details out, so they're just going to let him list the companies that he consulted for, which he could spin any which way he wants. He could spin any which way he wants what he did for those consultants. I mean those companies. So, as far as transparency, let's say we got like 40 to 50% transparency from the from the good mayor today press are going to be allowed in i'm assuming now the press are going to be allowed in he's probably gonna possibly change the way he talks at these fundraisers who the heck knows what he's been saying up until now i have no idea what he's been saying at these fundraisers i assume he's not going to be stupid enough to basically be bending over and asking for favors i don't mean i don't mean in a gross way i mean as all politicians do. If the press are there, I assume he's going to talk about this new generation we need. What he will privately discuss one-on-one with these lavish hedge fund people and Wall Street traders and big pharma executives. Who knows what he's going to discuss privately? 
But uh, Sludge came out with a really good piece. Uh, hopefully, uh, you guys check it out at sludge.com. And Pete Buttigieg has not released who's raising money for him. And Sludge got the name. Who is lo- Who are the lobbyists and corporate execs collecting checks for Pete Buttigieg? Mayor Pete's presidential campaign stopped disclosing the names of its campaign donation bundlers in November as the Indiana mayor faced increased scrutiny after surging in some early swing state polls. The campaign is also continuing to block press from his fundraising events. This was written before the announcement that he would let press in. A review of Buttigieg's known bundlers show why his campaign is reluctant to disclose the names going forward. Some are registered lobbyists, while others are shadow federal lobbyists with executive titles like government relations and heavy lobbying firms. The three high-profile attorneys representing controversial clients bundled checks for Buttigieg, but had their individual donations returned after their support was revealed. Oh, so they're allowed to raise millions of dollars for Buttigieg, but we can't take their money directly. What a transparent, ethical guy. The Buttigieg campaign initially committed in April to releasing the names of its bundlers, joining only then-candidate Kamala Harris in pledging to do so. But as of October, it had not updated its bundler list. Buttigieg rivals Warren and Sanders said they do not have big money bundlers to disclose, according to Open Secrets. Former Vice President Biden's campaign did not respond, shockingly, about disclosing its bundlers. Biden's campaign recently reversed itself to allow a super PAC led by lobbyists and executives to raise and spend unlimited sums of money. So let's take a look. Here are some of the bundlers and fundraiser hosts behind Buttigieg's big dollars. Steve Elmendorf, a Democratic Party veteran. Elmendorf is a federal lobbyist who went through the revolving door in 2005 after working as chief of staff to former House Minority Leader Dick Gephardt. Elmendorf's name appears on a list of bundlers released by the campaign in April. His name was removed from an online fundraiser invitation after Buttigieg reversed his earlier position and decided to ban contributions from lobbyists. Ten of his Democratic rivals, including Warren uh, and Biden, have pledged not to accept lobbyist contributions. Elmendorf lobbied for multiple members of the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, a healthcare industry-funded nonprofit. It's really a healthcare front group who meant to defeat Medicare for All uh, and Medicare public option plans. As of the third quarter, Elmendorf was also registered to lobby for the Federation of American Hospitals, oil company BP America, Wall Street giant Goldman Sachs, Verizon, Facebook, and a dozen more. Woo! Boy, talk about a progressive hero. Hamilton James, the executive vice chairman of Blackstone, the world's largest private equity firm, hosted a Buttigieg fundraiser at his home on June 13th, Drawing finance industry support, James is a longtime Democratic donor who the New York Times described in 2016 as one of the leading Wall Street contenders for an economic policy post in a future Hillary Clinton administration. In 2017, when James was president of Blackstone, the firm announced $40 billion, a $40 billion U.S. infrastructure fund, which half of the cash coming from the government of Saudi Arabia. Just wonderful. Blackstone and other private equity firms are significant investors in the fossil fuel industry, and while large donations from their executives don't technically violate the No Fossil Fuel Pledge, Buttigieg and other candidates, their firms are active drivers. And by the way, Blackstone has been making money off of the burning of the Amazon forest in 
Brazil. I don't know. This really does sound like a new generation to me. What about you? It's truly unbelievable. The, 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 the amount of hoodwinking Pete Buttigieg has been able to do, enabled by a totally pliant corporate media, to prop this guy up. He is literally Joe Biden, 40 years younger and, a, and more articulate, I would say. That, that's, that's who he is. This is Joe Biden, 35, 40 years younger. This is Hillary Clinton, different body parts. He is a corporate servant. He has no policies to help working people. He, as mayor of South Bend, he's basically been running to get out of South Bend for the last three years. First as DNC chair and now as president. This is why it is so important, this next debate. Because, strangely, and I I really don't get it as far as Bernie, as far as Warren, as far as Tulsi, strangely, really nobody went after him in the last debate. Nobody went after him in the last debate. I don't know why. There was plenty of opportunity to go after him, but people chose not to. So now, with the debate about a week, week and a half away, it's time for people to drop these political bombs on Pete's head. He is a slimy little f- Thus far, he's been able to get around attacks. But I don't think he's going to get around all this. He's going to have a very, very hard time explaining how he's anything different than what we've already seen for basically two decades 